Hey, what's going on? It's Britton Frost, and this is Overthought and Understated Podcast, episode number four. This is where I overthink a bunch of stuff and don't say nearly as much as I probably could about it, hence the name Overthought and Understated. And uh, that's exactly what I'm going to do today, although uh, actually, because that is what I do, uh, I feel like I'm probably going to be constantly making videos like this, clarifying points that I made or clarifying some of the content that I made in previous videos, and that's what I'm doing right now about my episode number two with uh, that was basically a quick 25-minute analysis of the Sam Harris versus Jordan Peterson debate. I had a lot of good comments and questions and thoughts uh, posted to YouTube for sure. Um, a lot of good opposing views, a lot of good confirming views, and a lot of good uh, neutral views. And I found the neutral views to be among the best. And when I say neutral, I don't mean smack dab, like taking a position smack dab between Harris and Peterson. What I mean by neutral is more like you have a, it seems like you have a pretty well-rounded understanding of where Harris is going wrong, but you just need further clarification on Peterson's points because... Uh, he does cover a lot of ground. Um, he, his ideas are very general, very broad. At least um, he was trying to express such views, but uh, I think one of the main problems with that debate was that every time he tried to get more general and to try to conceptualize truth in a broader way, it seemed like Sam kept narrowing the conversation back down for fear of having to put his entire belief structure into question. Um, so anyway, what I'm going to do now is read a question that was sent to me through email, uh, and I'm going to read my response to it, and we'll see where that goes. So this was sent to me by Steve. Thanks, Steve, for the email. It was pretty short and concise. Uh, his his concern and his questions and his confusions were uh, he put it in a very uh, straightforward manner and so I, I appreciated that. I also appreciated that he sent me an email uh, rather than sent his genuine concern uh, through YouTube, although I, like, I don't mind that, but I'm more likely to give a question or a comment the attention that you feel it deserves if you email me because uh, it's just more personal that way, right? If you do it on YouTube, you open up um, the possibility for, you know, anyone to answer you, which is a good thing, because uh, there are, you know, a lot of good people out there with good insights, but also, you know, the negatives that can uh, result from that, obviously. So, anyway, this is what Steve sent to me. He said, uh, I heard your podcast reviewing Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. Uh, I did find their conversation difficult to listen to because Sam couldn't let Jordan's position sit with the audience. Uh, Sam got bogged down and it ruined the opportunity for the listener to hear more of what his guest had to say. However, similar to Sam, I also don't understand what empirical truths are and how they should be applied and understood. I feel that the reason for this is that those who do speak of empirical truth being equivalent or superior to factual truth is that we never hear of what an empirical truth actually is or any kind of reference as to how they work. 
I only hear it as empirical truths are for believers and can't be understood by non-believers, which I find difficult to accept as a rational explanation. I hope that in future podcasts, Harris, uh, Peterson, and yourself can help clarify this for the listeners. I'll re-listen to all those podcasts and um, hope there are answers there that I missed, um, etc. Uh, thanks for the podcast. I enjoyed listening and helping me think, Steve. Uh, right off the bat, thanks a lot, Steve. Really genuinely curious uh, comments and, and questions and concerns uh, put forward in a you know pretty straight up way. And it was it was a respectful email. Kind of got like th- this is what I would consider a neutral point of view, right? Like uh, he kind of expressed that. Uh, he kind of understood where Harris was going wrong, but he was also like way lost on how general, you know, Peterson was trying to get, uh, talking about empirical truth. And although I would have to like actually go back to the podcast episode and listen for where they actually spoke of empirical truth specifically. But anyway, I understand your concern. I know where you're coming from. So this was my response. Uh, Steve, thanks a bunch for your interest in the podcast, and thanks for this email, as I would have been less likely to give your thoughts the attention they deserve had you commented on YouTube. I've been getting lots of interesting comments holding me accountable for the content of future episodes, and that's awesome. Uh, I just posted a new episode of my podcast where I touched on these topics with a friend of mine, but I don't think we sufficiently got at the meat of your concern. And that's my episode three, by the way. Feel free to check out at least some of it. So it's about two hours long, so don't <laughs> feel like you need to listen to most of it or any of it, really. Um, but it was a good conversation. Uh, I'll do my best to get started on that here, hopefully leading to another episode where I deal with this exclusively. Your concern is shortened to the point, so thanks for that as well. Uh, first, I'm sure that empirical truth for Peterson is just one level of truth. It's perhaps truth of the broadest level that science has the capability to explore. Uh, There's an interesting semantic paradox in that empirical means based on experience, yet science attempts to leave all subjectivity out of its investigation. Now, yeah, that that is an interesting paradox, isn't it? Because um, (laughs) I, I think so often we mistakenly refer to scientific truth in general as empirical truth because Um, We think of science as exploring things that we can experience ourselves, like things that are tangible, things that have uh, bases in um, what we can detect through our five senses. However, using our senses and and, uh, experiencing something of that nature requires, well, it requires subjectivity, right? And even if it's like, if we want to elevate that level of experience to something that's scientifically tangible, uh, it still nevertheless needs to be like, say, inner subjective, right? Or collectively subjective or, or some, something of that sort. So yeah, it's an interesting paradox and empiricism, empiricism, uh, I feel, has taken on many different meanings, uh, even, you know, especially since uh, the postmodern turn the term's been hijacked by some, used properly by others, and uh, I, I don't know who knows what that, that word even means anymore besides 
uh, based on experience. You know, that that's all I can really say about <laughs> empiricism. I mean, as far as philosophy goes, uh, I, I don't really know of any contemporary philosophers who would call themselves empiricists, you know? Well, it seems like most academic philosophers call themselves scientific realists, just like most of the academic scientists, you know? And so they all just kind of sit around and agree with each other about how science is the method, uh, the, the best method to solve the, the greatest truth problems out there in the universe. But, um, you know, scientific realism has its own problems, and I think that's, that's maybe another discussion, but... Anyway, to, to bring it back to Peterson, I said, uh, well, I'll go back to the email. Anyway, remember Peterson was arguing for different levels of truth, which we can think of as being hierarchically stacked. Now, first of all, this is not necessarily, uh, you know, something that he was explicit about in his interview with Harris, but this is something that you can easily find in his lectures and some of his other talks and interviews. Um, you know, Peterson's entire book, uh, Maps of Meaning, is based around the idea that everything in nature is more or less stacked hierarchically. It's organized into conceptual dominance hierarchies. And, you know, those have like psychological and conceptual and philosophical implications. But I'll, I'll do, I'll, I'll explain that very briefly uh, and simply, but maybe I can get into that another time as well. Um, so think of different levels of truth, which we can think of as being hierarchically stacked. Factual being at the bottom because, because of its triviality and lack of applicability, um, such as like this table is brown, right? Just keep that example in mind. The higher up the pyramid you go, the wider the range of things that the truth can account for. Therefore, the wider the range of things that, to use Peterson's uh, terminology, that that truth is true enough for. Uh, since so-called facts are at the bottom of the pyramid, for example, Sam's micro-examples, like did a tree fall in the forest type of thing, it has a yes or no question. Um, probabilistically, it has a, you know, you have a 50% chance of getting it right if you guess, but they aren't, th those sorts of examples, like the, the table is brown, they're not true enough for anything other than proving themselves correct or incorrect. So they're, they're sort of trivial, right? What else can we do with that? What is it for? More importantly, what does it mean? And the answer is nothing. It's empty of content and meaning for the most part. Um, I went on to say that the problem that kept Sam bogged down was that he felt too safe operating from that shallow level of analysis, that trivial, factual level of analysis. Um, and any time Peterson tried to broaden one of his examples to account for more variables, to put it into a more meaningful context, that is, Sam pigeonholed and narrowed it back down again to his safe zone. Uh, so let's broaden our concept of truth as much as we can to put things into perspective, right? So let's um, let's assume that Peterson isn't crazy for it, he isn't crazy for organizing knowledge into a pyramid. Okay, so take let's take that for granted for a second. Um, if you can think of anything material or abstract that might rest atop the truth hierarchy and would be true enough 
to apply to absolutely everything that is that it would create some sort of umbrella under which all things in the universe could operate that science evolution morality religion art emotion subjectivity objectivity of every different sort etc etc what do you think that thing might be is it a theory of everything as many philosophers and theoretical physicists would like to believe or is it something else or is it something more general maybe even a term that we use or a concept that we um, uh, use on a day-to-day -day basis but maybe don't consider the broader meaning of um, I say after that uh, I, I know what Peterson's answer would be I'm still working it out for myself if I agree with it or not but it's hard to find anything else more satisfying despite all of its complexities which I and even he I think am still yet to understand Cheers, Britain. And that, that was the end of my email. So what is that thing atop the, the truth hierarchy, so to speak? What is that thing that can account for everything that's true enough to be universally applied? Well, let's go back to, let's go back to a quote by Peterson that he said on a few occasions, but uh, in one interview in particular, I'll try to find the video and post it in the, in the description below. Um, he says, I'm not a materialist anymore. I don't believe the world is made of matter. I believe the world is made of what matters. It's made of meaning. Why not meaning in general? Maybe, maybe that's what sits atop the truth hierarchy, right? Perhaps it's meaning that provides Peterson's conception of reality with this, uh, with this Darwinian framework, right? Like, things don't just evolve randomly. He wouldn't, he wouldn't believe that. He believes that things evolve with purpose, with meaning, with goals in mind. And I think that's true, right? Because the goal, the purpose, the meaning comes first. It comes before the biological adaptation. So you can, look, we have free will, okay? And this is like, um, this is something maybe you can debate, but I, I think... Whether or not we have free will is not the question. The question is more like, assume you have free will and live accordingly and see what happens. Or, assume you do not have free will and live accordingly and see what happens. And good luck with, uh, with the latter, right? Um, I, I, I don't believe you can do it. Like, if you can do it, let me know. Uh, but, so let's assume we have free will. And let's assume that we create goals for ourselves. And that we seek purpose and meaning in life on both the micro scale and the macro scale. Well, when we have that, we strive toward those goals, we, we act them out, we behave in, in such a way, and usually in a habitual way, toward those goals. Like if you're right-footed and you wanna get good at playing soccer with your left foot, you have to just repetitively kick the ball with your left foot against a wall, right? Or to someone else and they'll kick it back and you trap it and you kick it back. I mean, go, go do it against a wall, you know? It's gonna be hard to uh, find, you know, a mate to, to kick the ball with as much as you would need to in order to get highly proficient with your left foot, right? So this is just an example, but you, you act it out. You repetitively, habitually behave in a way as to reach that goal and there are certain biological adaptations that follow as a consequence 
of your consciously striving toward that goal, right? So it's the meaning and the purpose that comes first. And that's what literally drives your biology to adapt. Once you've made the decision and made the commitment to achieve that goal, the biology follows. And I think it's our repetition over millions of years that have gotten us to this point. We've had many different tasks, many different goals in our evolutionary process that we've had to strive toward on the micro and the macro scale, and our biology has followed suit, right? Like, it's not, it's not random. You know, our traits haven't occurred by chance purely. I mean, there's maybe a little chance in there, but it's not clear to what extent there is any chance um, in our evolution. So I think that's where the Darwinian framework comes from. Like, the fact that we strive toward goals, we strive toward purpose, and because there is a necessary evolution that follows in order for us to become more proficient in achieving those goals time after time, then that's where, you know, the, the Darwinian... Uh, element kind of comes in and that's why I think because the meaning and the goal setting and the commitment part that's all yeah, that's kind of a religious uh, in a sense not in terms of organized religion necessarily but it's a it can be a, a religious spiritual and uh, to use Peterson's term a moral process and the fact that there is a necessary biological adaptation that uh, is a consequence of that, that that links together the moral and the Darwinian elements. So I, I don't think the moral elements and the Darwinian elements are necessarily exclusive from one another. But at the same time, you know, there's a sense in which our, our intellect has evolved as well. And perhaps, you know, scientific realism or that mindset, um, even if you want to call it a... Uh, a belief system in its own right, you know, the the propensity for certain people to take that side of the argument is kind of biologically inherited too. I mean, we all have we have, we have different personalities, and we're all inclined to believe different things and to create different conceptual belief structures in order to operate in the world. And um, you know, that's why. That's why the world works, man. You know, we can't all be the same. And I think that's another discussion, but I think I've said all I really wanted to say at this time about uh, the basic levels of truth and just the, the general idea that the factual and more scientific truths are on the bottom and they're, they're trivial and meaningless unless you have a goal in mind and you strive toward that goal, strive toward that purpose, that meaning, so to speak, and apply them in, in a meaningful way, right? Um, but on their own, they're, they don't mean much, right? And, but the higher up the, the truth hierarchy you go, the more those truths can account for, the more meaningful they are, and uh, the more they're true enough for, right? So I think that's the general idea. So um, I'll, I'll follow this up, obviously. Uh, let me know what you think in the, in the comments below, and I will uh, talk to you later. Thanks for tuning in. Overthought and Understated Podcast, episode number four. Britain Frost signing off. Peace.